0: Welcome to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Carruthers, and I have been a serial entrepreneur in the growing, processing, and retail space for over eight years. And we are here to learn together to get a well-balanced understanding of cannabis and cannabis products. Tune in every week for quality cannabis education for your canna-inspiration. What up? What up? What up? Hello, hello, hello. Yippee do da, yippee day. Like we say. What up though everybody? We are live. Welcome to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast show. Yes. Hello, hello. If you are out there say hello. Uh let me know who you are, what your name is, where you listening from. Um this is the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. We are live. And today we're going to be talking about, is marijuana really legal? Yes, we're going to talk about that. Uh, We should have a special guest coming on today um, as well. But yeah, the question is, is marijuana really legal? I'm your host Earl, and today um, this is is Cannabis Therapy Podcast Show. And the point of this show is we are here to get a well-balanced understanding about cannabis and cannabis products. We learn about cannabis together. Um, so that we can kind of put it into this whole stigma of weed and this war on weed. Uh, you can tune in weekly, um, every week and get a dose of your cannabis education for your cannabis inspiration. Yes, we are live. Um, today we're gonna be talking about is marijuana legal? Um, we have a special guest today as well that should be jumping on, uh, attorney Michael Kamorn. Um, I'll be looking for him to hop on any second. Um, but right now, um, Let me know if you guys are out there in the comments. Hey, say what's up. Um, I see some eyeballs out there. Say hello. I say hello back to you as well. Uh, This is a live show, so you're able to do questions and answers throughout the show. Um, This is a show you can ask the attorney when the attorney jumps on. Um, Any kind of questions that you have as well. Um, And again, we're going to be talking about is marijuana really legal? And again, if you're out there, this is Truly Engaged. Say hello. We come every single month, uh, not maybe every single week, uh, but we do it every single month. Uh, we do a Cannabis Connect weekly um, or every third Wednesday of the month. We also do some of these podcast shows um, as well. What's up, Louis? What's up, though? What's up, though? Uh, yes, yeah, that should be showing up there. I appreciate you saying what's up. And again, um, any questions you guys have, um, any any feedback too? Let me know. Some uh, I got some things I'm gonna go through. And a question, the subject here is: uh, Is marijuana really legal? Uh, we get a lot of questions um, about what you can and can't do, state to state, um, federally, employers, um, all that jazz as well. What up, though? Um, again, if you do not give access to Streamyards, what we're using. Um, your Facebook, I can only see Facebook users, so excuse me if I'm not saying your name, but what's up, though? Either way, it goes. Um, I'm sure you are fam, and yeah, you can say let me know your name as well. But we're gonna get into this presentation, um, right now, and as soon as the attorney jumps on as well, we're gonna bring him in. Um, but I think we got a lot to get into, and let's get straight to it. Boom, right here. So, yes, is marijuana truly legal um that is the question and you know what is legalization i mean that is kind of um one of the big things like what does it even mean um for legalization to be like what was that what does that word even even mean and by definition is that actually making something that was previously illegal now permissible by law um it once was illegal and now it's permissible uh for you to do for example in this case we're talking about cannabis. Um, at one point, um, cannabis was illegal. Um, and then at some point from state to state, they legalized cannabis and made it permissible um, by law. And I'm going to read this slide right here. You know, since 1937, can you believe that? The marijuana tax, 1937. Uh, man, we're almost coming up on 100 years of marijuana prohibition. Yes, almost 100 years of marijuana prohibition. Um Hey, what's up, Miss G? Um, Hello to you as well. Hello, hello to you. Um, And again, everybody, if you guys are just tuning in, this is a totally interactive show, open discussion, open forum. Um, We're just talking about, you know, our thoughts on is marijuana truly legal? And there's been a ban on cannabis um, since 1937, almost a hundred years. There's been a ban on cannabis, which is, which is wow. I mean, a hundred years. And, and, a lot of people ask, well, if I'm going to this state, I'm going to this state. Um, what states have actually legalized cannabis? Um, where where can I go um, where I could consume, um, whether it's medically or recreationally? And here's a little chart right here for you guys as to what state has actually legalized cannabis. Um, so we got 33 states that have legalized medical cannabis. So 33 states legalized medical cannabis and 11 states have legalized recreational cannabis. So that's um, man, that's that's 44 states so far that has some type of medical marijuana or adult use legalization. I would say we passed that tipping point here with cannabis legalization. Um, and again, legalization, it could be for medical or recreational. So we're tying that underneath both. Um, and then we got five more states coming up um, for a vote up in this upcoming November, which is next week, believe it or not, next week is November is voting time. Um so we got five so you got Arizona that's going to be on a ballot for recreational. Uh we have New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey um is going to be on a ballot for a recreational, which is going to be which is going to be wild because it's right next to New York. So you got people going from New York to New Jersey to get cannabis and back to New York. Um, so that's probably going to push New York as well to have some pop up legislation because right now if they voted in rec- recreational in, in New Jersey for sure New York um is going to end up coming as well. So I mean that's that's and then you got South Dakota. I mean, that's both recreational and medical. Um, I've never been to South Dakota. If you've been to South Dakota and you know some things that's in South Dakota, let me know. I may even travel to, to, to South Dakota. Does it snow in South Dakota? It probably does snow in South Dakota. It's probably like Michigan, but probably uh, around the time, winter time, we probably want to go somewhere. Uh, yeah, probably a little bit warmer, but nevertheless. Um, and we got Montana. Uh, Montana, another state I've never been to, they're gonna go recreational. Um, and then Mississippi. Um, is going to go medical and now. Some of these southern states, as you look at this map, a lot of the southern states are kind of like going to be some of the last states to come aboard. Um, but I mean, the momentum is wow. So we got 33 states that have legalized cannabis in general um, for 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 medical. We got 11 states that legalize it for recreational, and then we got five more states coming on. So you're looking at almost 49 states come October um, or come November that we can have some type of legalization. Uh, with cannabis, uh, so coming up now, it's it's now when it's legalized, a lot of people think, "Well, uh, why can't I travel on a plane with it, or uh, why can't I just ship it by mail?" It's because it's state by state. You know, these states are legalizing cannabis, but just because it's legalized in your state, and we talk about legalization meaning something where it was something illegal and now they made it permissible, um, so now. Because it's state law it doesn't mean it's federal law. So we have two different laws here. We have the state law, and then we also have the federal law. So there's a conflict here um, that where even though it's authorized in the state here in Michigan, the feds could come in to any of these dispensaries, any of these grows, these state license grows. Technically, they can come in here, the DEA, and they can raid, they can, um, they can seize um, the, uh, the these people' assets, the bank accounts, um, the cash. So even though it's authorized in the state, it Typically doesn't, I mean, doesn't mean that it's authorized federally. So that kind of got a lot of people kind of up in the air, like uh, well, now what do I do? Um, I got the attorney actually uh trying to jump on here. Oh and uh man, I, I had I had something done. Um and without further ado, people, I'm gonna take a pause here as we're talking about state federal relationships um I'm gonna take a pause and I'm going to take a step back to introduce um I actually have a nice intro Michael and I'm going to run this intro for you right now um, here we go so sorry guys I know you guys I was I was I was just getting warmed up but I got to take a pause my man Michael Kamor. So here is my introduction to Michael Kamor right now. So Michael Kamor is an award-winning criminal defense attorney at Kamor Law uh, for courses ranging from cases ranging from drugs, DUI, and various crimes, from arrest to charges to trial and more. Kilmourne has successfully represented numerous clients in matters related to medical marijuana, cannabis business, and hemp industries in Michigan. Michael has set as a co-counselor advisor on many of the state cases with other attorneys and has sat on advisory boards for laws and regulations. Kamorn is a member of the American Bar Association, ABA, NACDL, uh, the Recorder's Court Bar Association, and my Normal Attorney of the Year Award winner, and CDAM Award. His perspectives continue to be featured throughout the news, including you got the Detroit News, the Detroit Free Press, WWJ News Radio, um, you got WJR, the Oakland Press, um, and TV20, and Michigan Lawyers Weekly. So, I mean, without any further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, the soccer coach, Michael Kamour. <laughs> Hello, Michael. Earl, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for the kind words. Appreciate that and uh, hope you're doing well. Glad to be here and joining you and your group of interesting people. What can we uh, talk about? If we talk a little bit about cannabis a little bit?
0: Yeah, I know. I left for a second. I'm sorry, Michael. I'm okay. sorry. I can hear you, man. We're going live. This is just live TV. This is how it goes. Michael, you there? I can hear you. There we go. Perfect. All right, cool. Welcome, Michael. Um, So we're, how you doing? I'm good. good.
1: What about you? You all right?
0: I'm good. I miss you, man.
1: I'm sorry that we haven't seen each other. I uh, am a little late to arriving. I, you know, your this uh, StreamYard doesn't support uh, Max, I guess, or whatever. So I had to I had to flip over. To, I had to figure some technology up. I didn't realize it's gonna be that challenging, but I'm here now, and I'm happy to be here. And uh, let's let's get at it. What do you? Yeah, let's we're
0: let's gonna get say. at it. And again, uh, people, we uh, we talked about we got live question answer. You have one only. Um, infamous Michael Komor the famous attorney here in Michigan any questions you have we're going to kind of run through this presentation that we kind of started we're gonna come back um, answer these questions live uh, that you guys have so anything you got about um, the topic of marijuana and legalization here's your time now to ask those questions you can ask them right now as we go through the presentation and we'll kind of pick them up as we go uh, we may answer a few as we're in the presentation um, then we're going to answer a lot of them towards the end of the show as well but Nevertheless, we are overcomers. Um, we're going to get back to this show. So, Michael, right now, I kind of talked off um, and talking about marijuana legalization. Um, and we're going to kind of lead into like what does that actually mean and what the definition means. And I guess from a from an attorney and a court perspective, can you kind of guide us? I'm going to be your slides, man. And if you okay. can kind of guide us through these slides from your perspective, I appreciate it. All right. Do you want
1: me to uh, proceed here? I mean, I saw some of the questions that were asked, you know, essentially in these various states that have uh, begun to change. Like a good way to say it is there's been a lot of changes in state law regarding cannabis. Some have legalized, some have decriminalized, some have created medical marijuana laws. And the differences uh, of each of those is rather significant. And when you speak of the, the totality of the states that have taken some steps to change the law regarding cannabis It's important to understand those distinctions between legalization, decriminalization and medical. Um, You know, you got to get to understand that there's specific states that have legalized, which means that it is um, lawful to possess. You don't, you know, there's no card and it's lawful to possess and use statewide. Um, Comparing that to something called decriminalization um, this is usually more s- a ceremonial type of law that's passed either uh, as a local ordinance or a ballot initiative locally. And um, when there's a police encounter with someone with marijuana, it usually results in some uh, non-criminal type of sanction, since it's a civil infraction ticket. But again, this oftentimes, because it's not state law legalization, just decrim and the circumstances that I described, oftentimes can still be charged as a crime outside of, you know, like if it's a state state prosecution as opposed to a local city ordinance that makes it a civil infraction. And, of course, medical is, uh, generally speaking, um, where, it's med- where medical marijuana is legal it usually means that marijuana is still illegal, except that those individuals who are engaging in the medical use of marijuana and are in compliance, quote-unquote, they receive an exemption from that behavior that would otherwise be illegal. So those are the three ways that the uh, various uh, terms here are used to uh, refer to the changing of laws from ap- from it being completely legal and felonious and subject to uh, forfeiture and and uh, punishment and uh, loss of liberty, etc. Those are the terms that the that that different states have embraced to change those laws. Legalization is the most significant, but it usually it usually also is associated with um, regulations associated with taxing. So it's not always, in the classic sense, legal. If you are operating outside of those regulations or don't have a license or ticket, there are other types of crimes that one may be charged with. Tax evasion, CCE, things that you know, operate in a lawful business in an illegal way, things like that, or operating in a unlawful business in a legal way. Things like that are, are, are potential legal liabilities that may develop.
0: Now, can, um, we, can we touch on right now with the uh, difference of the state sure. versus federal legalization and, and why, um, or I guess, how is there a conflict? Like if, if a state has legalized cannabis, um, what, what does that mean with federal? Does it change federal law? Um,
1: good question. It's a very good question. It deals with a concept in law called preemption, essentially. And, um, without doing a whole course lecture on that, the using Michigan as an example, and Michigan passed its Medical Marijuana Act, it identified that it was still illegal federally. And if you're charged in federal court, you have no defense or immunity to assert in federal court, however. They also stayed within the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act that one, only one in every 100 arrests is for, for marijuana is federal, and the majority of them are for state laws, and that by business law in Michigan, it will reduce the number of arrests for sick people using cannabis. That was the basic principle. But the statistic that it's, you know, one percent of a hundred per arrest is uh, somewhat somewhat important. Because it reflects the amount of activity of cannabis use and the interest that the government may have in prosecuting those. Now, the since the legal, I mean, since the Medical Marijuana Act in Michigan since 2009, there's been a lot of developments at the federal level. It is still illegal at the federal level. It's still mm-hmm. Schedule One. It's difficult, okay. if, if it even possible, to get funding for research for uh, medical cannabis and uh, and. Oh, limited by the federal government's uh, monopoly of the, those that research and the fact that it's Schedule 1. And when I say that the federal government declares cannabis Schedule 1, what I'm saying is they put it in a category that describes it as being addictive and having no medical benefits whatsoever. We know that this is false and it's one of the big lies that we've had to deal with and probably the source of many of the answers to the questions on our sheet here. But, the, but it being illegal at the federal level means that if you are in, if you're charged in federal court, you can't say it's legal. If you're on federal grounds, this, we've had a number of these types of cases where people are on uh, federal uh, campgrounds or federally, you know, pr- preserved areas in Michigan where it's monitored by the federal, you know, uh, game, what is it, the Federal Game Association? What are they, you know, what are those things, federal- the federal... Uh- Anyways, you know, they're there, they monitor it, they're the ones, and, and if they write you a ticket, even if it's a wildlife and, game wildlife and game, you know, they're federal agents, so you end up in federal court. Now, with all that being said, with all that being said, there's also been some developments that do protect people, medical marijuana patients in particular, at the federal level. So I'll give you a quick example of that, and uh, it's kind of what I was describing. A client of ours had gotten uh, ticketed by uh, one of these federal agents Who's like a, you know, wilderness officer, or whatever, and he's, he's driving on lands that are considered, uh, you know, federal lands, and uh, tickets him for possession of marijuana. And so what? So the circumstances are this: there's uh, the way the law is. That you got the Federal Controlled Substances Act. The Federal Controlled Substances Act says the uh, government is in charge. The federal government's in charge of scheduling drugs, and uh, they. They uh, occupy this area. Nobody else can do it. You know, the federal government, this is a preemption. The federal government's in charge of immigration. The state can't make an immigration law. As an mm-hmm. example, the field of immigration law is occupied entirely by the federal government. States don't make immigration. Just as an example. And the same could be said for the controlled subsect. However, there's this exemption, this small little paragraph in the federal controlled subsect that says, except the states have an absolute right to set forth their medical policy. So this little little hole in the controlled subsect that says there is a state right to dictate their own medical policy has allowed the states to go forth with medical marijuana laws. But it's known that if the federal government decides to prosecute those, they're subject to federal prosecution. They have no defenses. Along the way, along the way, Colorado, California, other states have created regulated systems within their state. And because of that, there's been some action at the congressional level, federal congressional level. There's a couple of legal, you know, laws that have passed that are significant in this regard. First, there's a thing which was called the uh, uh, Rohrbacher Amendment. It was a piece of legislation. that when they passed the like 2015 or 16 federal budget that set the, you know, money that's going to pay the government to operate. There was a rider that said the Department of Justice cannot use its monies, you know, Department of Justice, DEA, and the U.S. Attorney's Office. They can't use their money to investigate medical marijuana operators that are in compliance. So in theory, they shouldn't be investigating these things that are medical marijuana related. And then in addition to that, there's been some policies by the Obama administration that said, look, if you're going to have regulated systems, you got to follow these nine rules and we'll leave you alone. And with all that being said, there's been kind of a cold piece, I would say, um, of the federal government's activity for medical marijuana states and even legalization. Although I would say this, there was some talk over the last year that our Attorney General Barr, during the initial phases of the pandemic, March, April, May, was using DOJ dollars that were budgeted, not for this exact purpose, to investigate some transactions regarding dispensaries in California and Colorado. I don't know that any convictions or, or, or charges came out of it, but it's something to look at and look for. And so our case in Bay County, the court actually found that our guy was in compliance with the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, immune from federal prosecution. You may not see that in a lot of places. kind of a you know rarity of things, but the interplay is that the state law protects state actors when you're in state court and under state law, period. And if you get in the federal court, You got some problems and the states can't hold the federal law as a basis to deprive you from doing state activities. One of the big cases was one of the cities uh, in uh, Wyoming, Michigan, tried to preclude a lawyer, actually, that wanted to be a caregiver from caregiving because it was against federal law. And every single judge at the district court, federal uh, circuit court, appellate court and Supreme Court, total majority of every single judge that ruled on this said that he can grow because state law protects state activities. And if he's charged in federal court, he's on his own with federal law. I know there's a little long, but I, I tried to it's an important issue that needs to kind of have some
0: context. Right. Yeah, right. You gave you definitely painted a deeper picture and I and I, I definitely appreciate that. So but basically, um, right now, until things are federally legal, we have some limited protections within our state, or really from state to state. And correct. Really, that protection is really just freezing up the funds that would typically be used to go after some of these state operators. Um, But other than that, it still is illegal on a federal level.
1: It is. And, uh, you know, yes, it is. And and certainly some of the behavior that a state operator may engage in could bring in the federal government. I mean, you know, because crossing state lines, sending packages in the mail, um, you know, There's a lot of different ways that activity could still, where that, you know, activity that steps over the line a little bit can bring the feds in beyond the limitations that they have. And uh, certainly, you don't want that to happen.
0: Which, Which kind of brings up the point of, I mean, I think a lot of us become kind of complacent, I guess maybe a word, or they see that states are being legalized. You know, we just talked about in a previous slide earlier that there's 33 states that have legalized cannabis for medical, there's 11. States have legalized uh, for recreational. And it's about another five that's going to be on the ballot come this November. Um, but people may think that, oh, you know, the prohibition against cannabis is pretty much over now, but it's not until we really change things on a federal level.
1: I would agree. Um, but as they say, be careful what you wish for. A lot of the Opportunity that exists now in Michigan may be because of the ambiguities of the conflict that we're speaking of, the state-federal issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the reasons why a uh, person may have the opportunity to get into the business is because it is illegal federally. The traditional players in business, you know, corporations, etc., are not going to get in this field until it is legal federally. Uh, but any kind of be- any kind of act by the government, for example, if they um, rescheduled it to Schedule 2, that would be devastating to our state laws because now, you know, it's, it's a schedule, still scheduled, which it shouldn't be. But if it is scheduled, it means that, you know, all this behavior for recreational is competing with the federal government's, uh, you know, the licenses are going to go out to pharmacies, mm-hmm. pharmacy companies to, you know, engage in marijuana medicine and whatnot. So you may have that kind of competition. If the federal government, um, for example, legalize it or even, you know, pass some kind of banking act, you will see, I'm predicting, you know, a lot of um, Wall Street kind of money invested in areas that it's not now. And uh, one of the reasons that some of the opportunity exists is that, you know, the smaller investor, the, uh, you know, loans via promissory notes instead of traditional commercial loans with where there's some uh, collateral taken in you know the, the the license or the inventory those kind of things aren't happening right. so the fact that it's legal illegal federally in a way and all the ambiguity comes with it has created some some uh, a sandbox to play in right now you know what I mean and I think one of the unknowns for the future for all the operators whatever your role is is um, if the federal government does do some kind of uh, substantial act or legislate something. Right now, I don't believe that anything's gonna happen. I don't know. And I mean that any of the legislation that's pending right now does not involve it's getting any getting anywhere, involve them legalizing it at a national level. I think that's a far away. We may see some banking law or some kind of states rights. Like if you know like if your state's legalized or medical, we'll leave you alone, you deal with it, but it's, you know, that kind of thing. It doesn't mean it's nationally and or allowed for uh, interstate commerce. Right. So that's... Um,
0: I mean, that's actually a, b- a very good point. I mean, we're actually going to touch on kind of what we think for the future okay. um, in right. a minute. But no, that's, I, I'm glad you actually brought that up because it kind of leaves a little little cliffhanger for people to kind of stick around for. Um, and you kind of on, touched on a little bit earlier um, about the difference between decriminalization and legalization. And I kind of want to kind of go back to that just a little bit as far as because people may say, oh, you know, oh, this city or this state has decriminalized cannabis. And then another city or another state or not really a city, but another state may have legalized cannabis. Um, Is there a a difference between the two and is one um, more impactful um, than the other? And I kind of have some definitions here. Um, on a slide here for what the differences are, but yeah, I'm curious as to what your insight would be for, Oh, you know, things are decriminalized woo! or things are legalized. Yeah. Um, kind of what are the differences, the difference between the two and which one should we really be advocating for?
1: All right. So, I mean, yeah, we want to be advocating for legalization. I think, I mean, decriminalization sounds good. And, uh, And, you know, it's more rare that a state, like any of the states that we've, the the 11 states that you mentioned that have legalized marijuana, they've legalized it, they haven't decriminalized it. You know what I mean? And the difference is at the state level, they've done or taken some, you know, some legislation passed that removes the criminal, removes the activity with that particular cannabis as no longer a crime. And and, and, and it actually lays out... uh, Behavior that is now uh, permitted instead of being prohibited. The decriminalization, generally speaking, you, I, you know, I, I don't. It's more commonly found where a city, township, or village will locally, not statewide, you know, um, not criminalize marijuana. And and this does not. This you know, this is not the full protection. Or removal of the prohibition, what it does is it it is more of a policy impact. In other words, if it's still illegal, if it's decriminalized locally and it's still illegal at the state level, you will still be prosecuted in any county, you know, yeah. by any county prosecutor because that's under state law. But, you know, if the city attorney in that city, you know, is under the decrim ordinance, they're not going to issue a criminal charge or misdemeanor, you know, they would issue a ticket. So, you may, you find these decriminalization cities or townships or villages as uh, you know, as a, as a, you know, like a safe haven, arguably, but it does also creates the circumstance of disparity in protections. You may go from city to city, right. and completely different uh, ways in which your behavior would be treated. Kind of like the idea of, you know, Michigan, you would be ideally treated as not being arrested. If you have 2.5 ounces, you yeah. drive into Indiana you're going to prison jail that night. You know, same kind of disparity in that um, treatment Catana. of this exact same behavior. But Right.
0: And, and and that could be here locally. If it was just decriminalized in Detroit, you know, as soon as you cross Eight Mile and went to Oak Park, it's a whole other scenario.
1: Correct. And even that situation, when it's decriminalized in Detroit, um, it means that if you were charged under the city ordinance, which is you know, police officer actually with you, they have a choice of writing a ticket under the city ordinance or arresting you filling out a report and requesting a warrant by the uh, Wayne County prosecutor, they'll issue you in charge. That's under state law. That was always the dilemma. Decriminalization does not go far enough. It still allows for criminalizing it in, you know, by discretion, which is not what, you know, which is better than nothing, but certainly not anything people should accept as the final, you know, right. final resting place or, you know, expect protections of not getting arrested or being criminalized.
0: Now, speaking of what we should expect and kind of those protections, even under legalization, if it's really just um, kind of removing the prohibition against a certain behavior or something, um, technically, I mean, to me, it means we are removing all of those prohibitions, but we're kind of really legalizing some of the behaviors and acts, but not all of it. So is it kind of, would it be truthful to say that we have kind of a partial legalization and then there's also a full legalization? Yeah, I I mean, um,
1: I would like to think that that is not the case. I'd like to think that we're not, you know, splitting hairs I can certainly see a distinction between the concept of decriminalization with a distinction of legalization and a distinction of medical marijuana. And if you're talking about the state of Michigan in particular, um, I will say that uh, we know from the jurisprudence that's been provided from our courts that when they passed the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, it didn't legalize medical marijuana. It created an exemption for Mm -hmm. Behavior that would otherwise be illegal for a certain class of individuals. Now, when you say is some legalization behavior not arrestable and other legalization behavior arrestable, that is a silly. I mean, it's it shouldn't have to be asked. But we do live in a state where that's um, you know currently going through an identity crisis. I would say on this particular issue, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is. Unlike the Medical Marijuana Act that didn't have any other specific proclamation other than to declare marijuana a medicine, which which left it, it's, uh, you know, interacting with it and the protection is limited to just those people that had cards and that were patients or caregivers. But the recreational law in Michigan says very clearly that the intent of this law is to legalize marijuana for adults over the age of 21, period. It doesn't say there's any limited class other than people over the age of 21. So there may be impact on those that aren't over the age of 21 and maybe, but but that is the premise by which it goes forward. And the other important part of it is that any act that's in conflict with that law loses to this legalization. So you have two very important principled statutory assertions in the law written by, adopted by our legislature after it was passed by a, uh, Voter Initiative, that sets forth how it is supposed to be. It is not that some behavior of people over the age of 21 won't be charged. It is that the intent of the law is to legalize it for all people over the age of 21. Now, for reasons that I don't fully agree with and or really comprehend, there's been a debate. I wouldn't even call it an academic debate. I call it a non-academic debate, like Mm -hmm. where where there's no learned thinking and no intellectualism going on. And in this world that this is taking place, this non-intellectual debate, the question came up of what kind of cr- crimes can we charge people with under the recreational law in Michigan? What? what kind of sed- yes. The, the sadist, you know, whatever, the anti-American, you know, they're, they're, this is a conversation that's taking place in various circles. And it's absurd. But their argument flow, flows from the idea that they're, There are certain things that are stated you can do and certain things that are stated you can't do in the recreational law. And the question that they have suggested needs an answer is that what happens if someone does one of those things you're not allowed to do and there isn't an exact penalty prescribed in the act? For example, what about you're not allowed to smoke marijuana in public? Okay, so what if someone smokes in public? It doesn't tell you what the penalty is right below that. It does say that the intent is to legalize marijuana in the first paragraph, last paragraph, any law that uh, conflicts the paragraph right before that is, this law is intended to be read broadly for the intent and purpose of legalizing marijuana for people over the age of 21. So when you say, what would be the remedy, you know, what's the penalty here? Could, could a person be charged with a misdemeanor? I mean, who would think that, right? Why would that even be a thing? Where would you even get that? But this is a conversation that's taking place. And um we had the same questions or the same questions existed, created by the same antagonists. And the way they dealt with it was that they uh arrested people and took them into court and let the courts decide. And I would suggest that we don't need to go through that. Right. We don't need any legislative amendments. We need an enforcement and training of the law enforcement community by a leader who will ensure who promised and you know suggested that we would have uh that the end, the end days of arrest and forfeiture for marijuana were over. But uh, unfortunately we find ourselves in a very strange state uh, of being. And I think a good way to describe it is that an uh, identity crisis. Now, we, we're,
0: gonna, we're gonna talk more about that identity crisis too, because I mean, from not just our state, just the importance of, of just leadership in general. Um, I'm gonna kind of rattle off some stats and I, and I will like your insight from this as well, based upon that um, identity crisis, Uh, whether it's this state or it could be also recognized in different states. So if we go to to Oregon, um, it says the civil infractions increased by 30% after legalization, um, even though those underage who consumed it, that stat decreased. Prior to legalization, talking about Oregon, um, the arrest rates of African-American youth was 50% or more than the rates of Caucasian youth. So Blacks were arrested 50% more than white youth. After legalization, um, that discrepancy reduced to 25%. So still, um, a quarter of the time, Blacks are arrested more than whites. Um, But there's been more infractions in Oregon after legalization, compare that to Washington. In Washington, after le- legalization, uh, there was a reduction in overall arrest. However, um, in contrast to Oregon, there's still a big racial disparity where African-Americans are still being arrested actually five times more, five times more than whites after legalization. So it's kind of going back to, you know, is marijuana really legal? the difference between state and federal law, and then now leading into once things are legalized versus decriminalized, what is the actual numbers? What are the actual stats here? Um, And those are just some numbers that just, I'm just curious, what are your kind of thoughts as opposed to there's still some arrests going up and it's not really after states have been legalized, it's not necessarily, um, the numbers are not going down.
1: Well, the statistic in Oregon shows some reduction, right? And we're talking about in Oregon the... um, We're talking about infractions in Oregon. So so cannabis infraction in Oregon increased 30% after legalization. We would all agree that infractions are better than felony arrest. right? Right, so that's number one. So there's right. some positive, again, I'm not, I can give an explanation, but I'm just looking at these stats. So there's some positive there right. and the reductions, it's, it's not an excusable disparity, but it shows there's some reduction, but I don't know that that is directly related to the law per se, mm. just like in Washington, the increase of 5%, five times more of uh, African Americans being arrested. Um, and again, these are arrests after legalization. That kind of a, you know, I don't know, are they arrest or tickets or are they still arresting, even though it's legal where they, you know, they're not supposed to be arrested? That's a good question to ask. But again, I, uh, I don't know that the law, you know, listen, they write laws all the time. And the law may say legalization, it may say uh, no one's allowed in the grow room other than the a, a registered caregiver and a patient, you know, which right. means something in the law. And the police may say the only person that's allowed in there is the caregiver, and they'll arrest you for it. And that doesn't come from their ability to read the law. This is from leadership on the way down. I mean, before we even get to legalization, mm-hmm. the statistics and disparity of the number of blacks who are arrested compared to whites is outrageously uh, disproportionate. So we had that built into the war on drugs. And that, so why did that happen? You know, like, how do you, you know, legalization or no legalization, it's, when it was illegal, there was a disparity. So, you know, the, the core answer that is less in the laws, it's more in the, where are they going to enforce the law? What neighborhoods are they going to? Why are they going there? How, what's the explanation for when it's illegal or legal? You know, where are they spending their doubt? What resources do they have? And this is one of the, um, one of the fallouts of the entire uh, prohibition in general. You know, it was uh, the war on drugs was utilized as a way to, you know, enforce racist policies. And it's not just the law enforcement community, because remember, every time they make a crime, charge someone, a prosecutor has to sign off on it and and be willing to, to prosecute it in court. So we have this long history of the criminal justice system being broken, built at destroying lives and the disparity in population and, and, uh, between black and white is, is not just a problem. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, emblematic issue that obviously these, uh, these laws, which are intended to stop it, do not cure. And, uh, you know, the point here is that clearly we don't to accept, uh, this disparity is, a re- is something that's normal, is, is you know, unacceptable. Nobody should. But but at the same time, accepting the idea that someone could be arrested and jailed for marijuana and alcohol is okay is also absurd. And any kind, you know, like any steps in either of the directions, I think is, you know, lends itself to a change in policy. I mean, I could make a case that the officers that are still making these arrests are of the old garb. You know, they're the ones that have were trained and have been wired in a way that um, they only know one thing. They only interact with citizens a certain way. They're in the, you know, military guard mentality, us against them. And, uh, you know, they want to smell the, get in the car, you know, make a traffic stop that turns into a felony arrest. That's how they're trained. That's how they're going to be. But, you know, we got to take some steps to kind of reform that. I think, uh, you know, the bigger picture is really on the police accountability and the prosecutor accountability. They've gotten away with, you know, terrible policies and and not being accountable for anything. I think, you know, this last year of uh, protest and, you know, uh, pushing back during the uh, pandemic of people that are just sick and tired of not being treated fairly within the criminal justice system ties itself back to the war on drugs and the way that that those prohibitions were enforced disproportionately. Police officers were not accountable. They got away with all kinds of stuff they shouldn't have. And people are pissed. That's why they're riding in the streets, and they should be. And I, I, I support them until these policies change. There's accountability for police officers, and prosecutors take accountability as well. We're going to be uh, just you know pushing paper. That's what's happening right here.
0: Right. Thank you. Um, and yeah, and thank you, Coach 313, for saying facts there. Again, I'll just let you guys know if you guys are watching live right now or you're just not tuning in. Uh, this is a campus every podcast show. Uh, we have special guests, Michael uh top attorney in Michigan. Uh, we will have time for uh, questions and answers. Any of your questions in regards to marijuana, um, uh, court cases or marijuana legality, growing um, legally, uh, this is your time now to ask those questions. You can ask those questions at any point in time during this um, session. Um, and then we'll try to bring this and answer as much questions as we can towards the end of the show. Um, But kind of getting back to it, yeah, so now that things, you know, do become legalized, I mean, we just can't really get too comfortable and think, well, you know, everything's just soft. Um, There's still disparity. Um, There's still things within the leadership level is what you're saying that we need to focus on, whether that is from local attorney generals, whether that is local prosecutors, um, whether that is your local governor, Um, all those leadership roles have to be in line and in favor with legalization, yeah. otherwise we have this chaotic disparity. Even though it's legalized, but yet we're still having issues. Is that?
1: I agree. And um, and, I, and I'm not I'm not going to make the, you know any defenses for this issue, but uh, as I've said many times, and it's an important statistic to understand that uh, during the period of time when marijuana was illegal in Michigan, the states. Forensic science division was spending 40% of its budget testing marijuana, and if you need some context to that, that means that 40% of every criminal docket was made up of marijuana cases. That was paying for the probation officers, the deputies that are opening up the court, the clerks in the uh, office. You know, all of that is is 40% of all of that is being, you know, capitalized by uh, the marijuana prohibition. So. Yeah. And that's and that's
0: and that's and that's them testing a lot more than just marijuana, I mean, they're testing all other drugs, but marijuana is 40 percent. And that's and they could be tested, heroin, crack, right. everything, I mean, but 40 percent of that is marijuana.
1: 40 percent is marijuana. The point I'm making is first, it, it you know makes a representation of how much space it takes up in the criminal justice system. So when you legalize, you still have all these people that are engaged in this, you know, from the prohibition side that are been part of this machine that's just been eating people creating 40 percent of the budget being spent on marijuana you know and and we're, I think this is the I'm not making excuses but how else can you explain it they're still doing what they know they haven't been trained otherwise their brains have not been rewired they need a lobotomy and a you know some electric electrodes in their brain you know or or very simply some money invested in retraining how do you engage with someone if the car smells like marijuana now officer? Uh, You know, that's not a question that's been answered or trained. This is leadership issues. And, you you know, you need someone to take the lead in this area that has been known to be one way. I mean, we have this real, real interesting dynamic here. The law enforcement community has been, you know, treating citizens that engage with marijuana use like animals. If you think about it, treating them like they are subhuman, shooting their dogs, kicking in their doors. You know, ramaging their houses, going through their underwear, stealing vibrators, you know, forfeiting their their kids' uh, birthday cards. I mean, it's, it's obscene. So you have this dynamic of this culture of organized agents of the state that have treated people below human standards. And now they have to look at it differently. How do you train? How do you how do you get them to do that in the first place? How do you undo it? We haven't addressed that. And I think it's an important Dynamic going forward. Again, it goes back to leadership, and unfortunately, these people that I speak about—they're you know, agency leaders, they're team leaders, the you know, they're that are involved in this—are still at the table, developing these policies. You know, which is also a, a a bad bad decision, I think, for the leadership. They did not vote for these laws to legalize. They were right. against medical. You know, they've been a killing it you know, treating it illegally. So I don't know that they deserve a seat at the table anymore to determine the policy going forward. If they get the seat at the table and help decide how legalization is going to look, you know, in Michigan, we got problems. And that's, that's kind of where we are right now. And I say that it's a leadership issue. This legalization law that Michigan has is a great law. It doesn't need to be amended by the legislature. It needs somebody to implement it and enforce it and train law enforcement how they're supposed to behave in this new era of uh, not arresting people or thinking about ways to criminalize marijuana. It's that simple.
0: Amen, amen. I mean, I I almost dropped the mic right there. Um, And and kind of, you know, the timing of this show, um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here now is we're talking about leadership and we're talking about putting people uh, or who should have a seat at the table. And we have a very important election coming up, um, come November. And my hopes was with this episode um, for some people to really start paying attention to the local government uh, of, of who we're putting in place. And if their agenda is in line with your agenda, um, as far as right now, we're talking about cannabis. Um, but if they've been um, uh, anti-cannabis this entire scenario, and like you're saying right now, when they get voted back in, all they're going to do, almost like the whole shooting area uh, or uh, era, He was attorney general. He was against medical marijuana. Um, And even though it it was a voter initiative that was passed in 2008, he did his best to put holes into the act and cause chaos. So we could have a same similar issue if we don't have the right leadership. Is that what we're saying? I
1: I do. And I think, uh, unfortunately, we may be in this similar situation. Not so much that uh, they oppose it or are taking steps to thwart it. But I think their inability to lead and implement it has been equally as problematic as someone that's against it. And the answer to solutions, unfortunately, have been that the legislature needs to fix it. It's not for the attorney general or the governor to lead in that regard. And I have a problem with that. I don't know that the legislature is capable of doing it correctly. This is, you know, our recreational law was not a legislative created law. Um, they do have the right to amend it. I think it's 75%, but I don't think that they've got, I don't think they know enough to amend it. I don't think they know what they're doing. I don't think they should be in charge of that. I think that there's already problems with the implementation of the MMFLA, which is their creation. And, um, you know, we're going to be in that, uh, but we're in that situation right now. You know, um, okay. and, and, and I would su- suggest to people, I would agree with you, uh, Earl. Number one, If there's a disparity of what in Michigan of why the uh, implementation of legalization in the industry has not evolved more and we're still uh, not running with an organically developing economy is because of the the, the depth of the restrictions and regulations. Or said another way, the, the lack of cities and townships that have opted in for medical or recreational marijuana businesses. And uh, that percentage in Michigan is approximately 10% or less. Some have just opted for medical and not recreational. Now, we're talking about local elections. That's where you got to hit them. That's where people should be mobilizing because that's where you can make a difference. If your candidate in your local city has been rejecting or not willing to vote to uh, opt in for medical or recreational and... uh, you know, your city is in favor of it or your city voted in favor of legalization, you can learn these statistics, you know, then that they shouldn't be in office anymore or you should run a ballot initiative. But but just like the wiring of the brain of the officer regarding marijuana, you have the same that's taking place within these local governments. And um, they're not going to be, you know, radical in their decision-making. They're going to be slow-paced as, you know, our our, our federal government and state government works, it's it's uh, designed for, you know, um, being entrenched and not making the action. So that's their position. You know, that's a huge leap for many of them. But one of the ways to speed things up is to either get involved yourself and run for office, which okay. many people in the cannabis community have. and Or, you know, get a group together and make sure they vote out those that are opposed to it. And let All it right. be known that your vote is important. They have to listen to you. That's
0: one of the other ways to do it. Right, and, that, and and again, it's what you talked about earlier is that, that prosecutor role. Um, even if people are arrested, it still has to be prosecuted. Um, so that prosecutor role um, is key in your local county as well. Um, so cool. Um, so yeah, just uh, another quick fact. I mean, in 2018, um, from the FBI, they actually released that the arrest has actually increased. Um, and about 48, about every 48 seconds, there's an arrest that's related to marijuana. Um, it went from almost 650,000 to 660,000. Um, and this is post legalization. So um, just the whole point of that right now is for us just not to be complacent, just because we hear the word, or a state got legalized, um, that everything's okay. A lot of people think people are not getting arrested anymore. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Kamaran, but you're still fighting cases right now um in the state of Michigan, of people who um, are still being charged with marijuana
1: felonies. Well, I will say this. That statistic is interesting. From the, It's a national statistic that the national number of arrests went up. Michigan used to have 20,000 arrests per year. So I don't know what that total The total number was, what, 600,000?
0: 600, yeah, 653, <laughs> 249.
1: All right, so... yeah. I mean, that could mean that uh, you know, in states that it's illegal, they usually does you know twenty thousand. They double. That could be. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: there could be more activity in the states that are illegal because of the surrounding legalization. You know right, where there's some play across. The... I mean, I could think of a number of different ways. But that statistic doesn't reflect um, a statewide legalization. You know what I mean? But it's um, and I don't know what I don't you know I don't know what the other. Anyways, so with that being sure. said. Yes, Earl. I have, uh, I th- you know, I think nine marijuana felony cases that are going on right now. Some of them many of them are from pre-legalization. And for reasons that uh, <coughs> are unclear, they're still intending on pursuing them as felonies. And, uh, you know, I I think they're going to have a tough time convicting our my client at trial, I mean, in whatever we're talking about is a prosecutor standing before a group of people and saying, come with me now in the time machine. We're going to go back to a time, not today, but in our history where things were illegal. Come with me, please. Everyone walk out of the jury box, step into my, okay, back, we're going back. There. Like that's what they have to be able to do in order to, so I, I it's absurd to me. I, I also wonder what, what rationale could they use that the people of the state of Michigan want this to be a priority that the prosecutors are still charging right. you know one of the most significant arguments to be made because the state is engaged in 40 percent of its budget and testing is maybe that's the reason why they're not getting to the rape kits you know statistically speaking when you look at the percentage of convictions in the state of michigan you know i think uh Prostitution convictions are 92 percent. Cannabis is like 80 percent. You know, rape, murder, robbery. Those are like all below 40 percent. Our the state of Michigan has got its priorities in the wrong spot, and I would argue these prosecutors, county prosecutors, that go forward with these uh, cases after 2018, I mean, 2020. Now it's been two years. You know, our are just, uh, just bullies, because they can do it, because they can You know, they're going to try to squeeze someone into a plea. All right, with that yeah. being said, unfortunately, Earl, there are a m- number of other cases that have occurred in Michigan that I'm representing people for crime. Now, I want to have a caveat before I explain what those are. The caveat is, unequivocally, the number of calls I get or would get pre-legalization, has reduced probably 98%. Seriously. Mm. Like, I could tell you, like, at any month, we get X amount of calls of all the raids that were taking place and, you know, dealing with felonies and forfeiture, et cetera. Not happening like it used to anymore. It doesn't mean that it's not happening. It's happening a lot less, which is good. And I think, you know, I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, we hear every now and then of, positive encounters with law enforcement, people get pulled over, they got their marijuana and they, they go on. They don't seem high, you know, or they don't seem stoned to the officer or whatever they let them be. They follow the law. That's that happens. I mean, those things happen more frequently than I guess I'd get calls for, Hey, I just had an o- interaction with an officer and I showed him my card and I got out of there. Good. You know, that right. happened less. It should have happened a lot, but, but here there's been a change. I do think a lot of the departments have, you know, discussed at least how they're gonna deal with it. Not, you know, internally, but certainly not in a way that's consistent across the the state. So I now, think there's... I, I think mean, this, we,
0: we, go, go ahead. ahead. Now, well, with that being said, I mean, it seems like there's, there's some good news um, you're, you're mentioning and there's some positivity in this legalization. And it's kind of like, well, will this last? Are, are we gonna go backwards or is it gonna to continue to go forward? Um, and I mean, I guess we we saw some some acts that could have been passed or almost passed or um, you got the Safe Banking Act, you have the Moore Act. Um, I mean, with those acts in place and from what you are getting from a reduction in costs, um, from what you're seeing in court, do you see things keeping going forward with things being legalized?
1: Well, I, I was trying to make this point that A lot of less cases. I think there's some areas that law enforcement still finds of interest in certain places a person may find themselves where they're more at risk. So, for example, I think uh, because of the legalization of marijuana, the fact that adults over the age of 21 can grow 12 plants in their house, carry 2.5 ounces of usable marijuana, travel about with that. And, I mean, not, not so much, but another legal reason is because of the legalization of hemp. You know, all of the those three factors make what was previously probable cause, the smell of marijuana or the, you know, evidence that marijuana activity taking place. All those things that normally get the police into and get an arrest going on is no longer. And I don't know if that's. There's no law that says, I mean, it, it should be this. Is, I'm talking about probable cause to arrest. The smell of marijuana allows that. I mean, search a card, kick in a door pretty much to get a search warrant or to get a search warrant. But there's less of that. And it, and it, and it shouldn't be because, you know, it's legal. It's not It's not contraband per se. States can tax dollars off it. And, uh, you know, it's the, the, the federal definition of hemp is the cannabis sativa L plants. By default, and only amounts greater than 0.3% are of that plant are marijuana, and the smell of uh, THC is uh, no smell, it's odorless. So they really don't even know they're smelling marijuana. But And those are a number of reasons that should stop the, you know, rubber road, police, citizen conflict resulting in a negative encounter. All right. So with all that being said, there's a number of other areas, as I kind of alluded to within the recreational statute, that uh, – Shouldn't be issues that are up for debate, but seemingly are. And I think that's kind of goes to the leadership. If you say to yourself, what is the amount of marijuana a person can have in order for me to charge them with a felony versus, you know, we're going to charge everyone with civil infractions if they, no matter how much they have, it's a big difference. Right. But, but the cases that I'm finding where people are drawing attention are retail operations that are not licensed. And uh, anytime, you know, a good way to look at it is anytime now that, you know, cannabis actors are making money and not paying taxes or didn't get their license, the state wants some of that. That's their money. So if that's their interest to get in there and get that retail money that you're not paying tax dollars to to the state and you didn't get a license before. That's, you know, that mentality is uh, built into this. And they've got operators. I'm sorry, like regulators and uh, investigators and enforcement units that are co you know, acting in concert to address these things. That's one area that I'm, that the growing of marijuana, less, you know, that was always an area where people be, doors be getting kicked in. It seems like there's less attention to that. I'm not encouraging people to go crazy. But, um, and then recently, I think there's still the issue of, uh, you know, the travel with certain amount of cannabis they're traveling with and how much they have i have a client that was arrested with uh <clears throat> cannabis in their in their car <clears throat> and they charge them with a seven-year felony i don't know how they can do that it's an amount that's greater than 2.5 ounces or double that but i can't read that recreational law to, to say that it's that you can charge them with a felony ever and at most you can charge them with a misdemeanor if
0: you know, it's over a certain certain amount, and uh... oh, looks like we, um, we may have lost. Yeah, may have lost you for a little bit, but uh, but no, come on, we're, we're actually coming up on our hour on right, the show. Right, um, right. No, you're good, you're good, you're good. No, we, um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your your passion uh, for cannabis, and I think the audience understands that as well. Um, if you guys do have a quick question you guys can ask it now um however you see on the screen right now you can stay in contact with Kamor um he got a youtube channel uh look at the Kamor law uh, on youtube they have the plant green trees they got the hemp business information um all of his information you see there on the screen um, definitely go there get in contact with him um, i swear by the man as one of the best attorneys in the state of michigan if not in the u.s and maybe in the world, um, I don't know if on Mars you may have some competition on Mars, Kumar. Uh, you know, we're doing
1: Earl. I appreciate you a lot, and I'm sorry if I ramble on about some of this. We are doing a lot of licensing work, and it's an interesting time. Many of the issues you've been talking about are issues that I'm passionate about dealing with social justice issues. You went to such great lengths here to lay this thing out to try to get all this information out. I don't know that we ever would have been able to cover it all, but I'll tell you what: we're going to cover some of this on Planet Green Trees. Answers to good questions, good stuff to talk about. It's timely and relevant. And uh, if your listeners are still interested in some of that, they can tune in. Then and we'll certainly be promoting your uh, your your uh, informative podcast here as well.
0: Awesome, man. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, if you guys want to uh, get more uh, information about our blogs and resources, got have got You see it on the slides. Um, also, for the Craft Canvas Club, you can join the wait list. It's just a group where people come and they uh, network, educate and share resources. And then, of course, for your kind of inspiration, always come to the Canvas Therapy Network podcast. For now, we're on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, share, like, all that jazz. Uh, so other people just like you can help end this stigma that is created by this war on drugs. So, come on, I want to thank you. Uh, once again, This is, this was awesome, man. This was our first live stream together. This was great. I appreciate. It. Thank you for having
1: me. And uh, we got to do more. We got to give ourselves either more time or make the list like three questions. <laughs> three questions instead
0: of instead of twenty. Well, we no, got to be able to no, talk it. a
1: little bit. You got some yeah. input. I got some input. There's yeah. You know, multi- we know if you know once you get into it, there's a lot of layers, right? Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, but at
1: the same time, simple as smart.
0: True. Very true. Um, we're going to pick this back up, guys, for the Plant Green Trees. It's every Thursday. You can check it out on YouTube. Um, again, at the Komoran Law, uh, we're going to talk about this topic some more. Um, and I believe it's going to be on your Facebook as well, right, Kamar?
1: That's correct. We'll put that up there.
0: All right, cool. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I know you guys stuck with me for a little bit more than an hour. If you're still there, I really appreciate it. Um, and again, thank you, Kamar. Until next right, time, everybody. people. All right, y'all. All right, let's go. Thanks for listening to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. For more Cannabis Therapy blogs and resources, check our website, CannabisTherapyNetwork.org, CannabisTherapyNetwork.org.